You are listening to the Hope Church Weekly Message Podcast. Hope Church is located in Cleveland, Texas and meets on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Pastor Todd and the preaching team desire for this message to bring life in a dark world. For more information about Hope Church, visit HopeChurchCleveland.com. So this is the last week of our I Love My Church series. Next week we start Power Couples. Uh, Crystal and I will be team teaching throughout uh, the Power Couple series, uh, as well as, as one special guest through the time. Uh, next week, we're talking about loving God in your season. So uh, we're, we're getting a chance to practice that out as we prepare for that. Uh, but to end our I Love My Church series, we've got a special guest with you. Uh, many of y'all hear me talking about the guy that planted Hope Church, uh, but the guy that actually planted Hope Church is here. He's wearing a pink shirt. Uh, his name is Pastor JJ. So we're excited to have him with us today to speak to us to end our I Love My Church series. So y'all give a nice Hope Church welcome to Pastor JJ Heflin. What's up, Hope Church? What's up? All my notes are fouled up here for a sec. I didn't know this, but uh, there's a time limit. So I'm just going to have to really just read these. So... Yeah, I got too much. got too excited. It's good to be here. I'm glad to be back. I've been in uh, the wilderness for the past six years. It's upstate New York, if you know where that is. Binghamton, New York. Been serving at a church up there for the past six years. Recently, I came back in August, took a role, not in a church, but I'm serving as a uh, chaplain in the oil field for Dunnigan Transport, which involves a lot of stuff and doesn't just involve chaplain stuff. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that today. But, uh, but there's some interesting things that happen when you leave the motherland, the promised land, and you go to the wilderness. You see some stuff up there that you're like, man, I had, I had no idea. I had no idea there was a place that didn't have any barbecue or Mexican food <laughs> or sunshine or heat. I know some of y'all were, you know, upset this morning. It's like 20 or 30 degrees. I mean, let me just tell you what it is in Binghamton, New York right now. You know, 20 inches of snow, minus 10 degrees. And that's not just because of a cold front. That's because it's every day there. That's because it's New York. Crazy. Anyway, so I was able to get back to Texas, and we're glad for that. And then since we've been back, we've uh, also had another kind of an eye-opening experience happen out here, is that you, you forget about how... Texas is and the culture of Texas. You forget about Allsup's and the Allsup's burrito. You forget about overalls, things like that. But also what you forget about is that everything in in Texas has this huge uh, Christian culture here, right, everybody? Especially where I'm at in Abilene. The further west you get, the more Christian it becomes. And so over there in West Texas, um, like, like really everywhere in Texas, everybody's a Christian. Did you know that in Texas? I like to tell New Yorkers that all the time. Like, I didn't know that everybody in Texas is a Christian. They don't need Jesus over there. That's why I came to New York, to bring it to you. So anyway, here's what we've noticed about Texas in this Christian culture. There's a lot of restaurants, businesses. Everybody seems to play some kind of Christian music. If you walk in, they're playing some kind of worship music, some kind of popular Christian stuff. You don't see that much in, in uh, New York. In fact, in Abilene, I was talking about this in the first service, there's a coffee house called Monks 
coffee house in Abilene. And it's a little bit edgy, right? I mean, they try to be a little bit edgy. They got some interesting, edgy art on the walls, and they're, they're playing some music that you're not going to normally hear. But what's interesting is that the Christian culture kind of seems to take it over because you walk in, and you're like, hey, this place is super edgy and cool, finally. And then everybody in the coffee house is doing some kind of Bible study. They're reading their Bibles. They're, they're trying to be something, but these Christians come in, and they just take it over. So I just thought you wouldn't see that in New York. In New York, you wouldn't see that. They would kick you out if you had the Bible. Get out closed. I may be an exaggeration, but, but, but that's how it is. Abilene has three Christian universities, three large Christian universities, ACU, right here is a representative, ACU, McMurray, and, and then Hardin-Simmons. You don't see that much in New York. There's, there's some Christian universities, but I, I doubt that there's three in one, one town like uh, Abilene has. So, and then also what you see is you see a lot of folks in Texas come to church on Sunday. Like here this morning at Hope Church, a lot of folks attend services throughout the cities, everywhere you go in Texas. There's going to be churches full of people. And, the, and, and a lot of the folks that attend churches are going to claim some, some Christianity. They're going to say, I'm a Christian. And they're going to live their lives by some kind of moral code that is derived from biblical principles. That's generally how people are, even if you're not in church. People that are on the street out here working, they're just going to be more polite They're going to live. They're not going to lie. They're not going to cheat. They're not going to do those kind of things, generally. That's the way it seems. I'm not saying that that didn't happen. But then I think the biggest part of Texas is is that a lot of us that would say that we're Christians, we really just say that we're Christians, and we're not acting as Christians. So we have churches full of people that come on Sunday mornings, and then that's really the extent of our Christianity. We don't live it out the way that we should live it out. And I know that's a frustration for a lot of pastors. I've served in full-time ministry now for 21-plus years, served in churches, planted Hope Church, always had a heart to reach out to the lost and the broken, and have always looked to go into the places where churches won't go. In fact, I just pulled this up, uh, Hope Church, the mission statement that we had that, 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 we, that you still use. It's on the website. It says, Hope Church is a missional church whose purpose is to impact the community of Cleveland with the love of Christ. Hope Church's goal is to build the kingdom of God one person at a time. We will pastor people and not programs. We intentionally invest in the lives of everyone in which we connect. Hope Church will partner with the community of Johnson County and Cleveland in order to impact the lives of the unchurched, de-churched, and those that have been marginalized. And the overarching mission of Hope Church is found in all of the Gospels. You shall love the Lord your God with every part of your being, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Simply put, love God, love others. Hope Church is and will be dedicated to this simple truth. That's still part of Hope Church. We wrote that eight or nine years ago. Still a part of the mission, and it's exciting to see that y'all are still impacting the community and Pastor Todd leading this church and the team doing a great job in doing that. But with that in mind, I've also just done some reflecting about uh, church and, and what we do, doing a great job serving the community, which is what we did in Binghamton, was able to serve the community and do a lot of great things up there. But I feel like we've missed something. I feel like we've done a great job in serving and going and loving, but we haven't been very intentional in sharing the gospel. We go and we 
look for opportunities and I'll go and serve people. We'll serve meals and help people when they're in need. But in those moments, we're not stopping and sharing the gospel. We're doing it kind of indirectly, hoping that they see Jesus in what we do, but that's really not enough, I don't think. So I think we failed at that. I think, I think it's important that we need to understand that sharing the gospel and making disciples is important. And the reason it's important is that when you have churches like this and people are coming, that means that there's only so many things that you can do on a Sunday morning. There's only so many of you that can lead worship. There's only so many of you that can work in the nursery. There's only so many spots for you to do something on Sunday. So if Sunday is the only day that you can live out your faith, you're going to be in trouble because there's just not enough slots for you. So we have to get out and we have to serve, but we need to be sharing the gospel, making disciples. And that is one of the frustrations that, that I've experienced that pastors throughout churches everywhere would experience is that why aren't our people more engaged? Why do we have all of these people show up on a Sunday, but then we don't see them active in our work, in the work of the ministry? What is the issue there? I think it's a couple of things. I think probably ministry leaders and pastors haven't done a very good job in equipping the saints, which is you, to do the work of the ministry. That's probably part of it. That was part of it for me. And then I think some of us are just inactive. You have just, for whatever reason, you are just not active in the ministry. Maybe you just don't know how to do it. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So before we go on, what is a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? The question is, is are you a disciple? And then whatever word you want to use for that, we have a lot of them. Are you a follower? Are you a believer? Whatever the, the church word is there today. What, what is a disciple? Well, this is how it's defined. A disciple is defined as a follower, a student, an adherent of a teacher or a movement. And in this case, we're talking about Jesus. So a disciple is a follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus, someone who walks closely with Jesus. In the New Testament, the sense of the word is defined as a close, intimate relationship that is characterized by trust and obedience. Do you trust and obey Jesus? Have you ever wondered about the disciples in, in the Gospels? Why it was that they immediately just followed Jesus? I mean, Jesus just shows up. He just says, come and follow me. And they're like, dude, I'm in. You don't have to sell me anything. I'm, I'm here. Let's go. And they just dropped everything. I've always wondered what, what it was about that. What was going on that... that that would happen. I mean, that doesn't seem likely for many of us that some guy would just show up at your house and say, hey, come follow me. And you're like, okay, I'm in. Hey, everybody, I'm leaving. And you, and you don't come back home ever. Right? Seems a little odd. Just wondered. But here's why they did that. These guys in uh, this culture, they were Jewish. Jesus was a rabbi. And in this culture, when you were a, a Jewish young man, you would have been chosen by other rabbis to follow a rabbi. He would have saw some potential in you, and then he would say, come follow me, and then you would go and follow the rabbi, and then you would be like the rabbi. You would learn to speak like him. You would talk like him. You would walk like him. You walked with him closely. You would allow the dust of his trail to cover you. You were so close. 
And that's what it meant to be a disciple. But these men here, they didn't get chosen. They weren't chosen by any rabbi. So what would happen then is you would go back home and you would take up the family trade. You'd be a fisherman or you'd be a carpenter. Or you'd do whatever the family did. And that's what these disciples find themselves doing. They are fishing when Jesus shows up and he says, come follow me. He chooses them and that's why they're so eager because now they've been chosen and they're ready to go because they know what it means to be chosen. And that is us, that's you and me. We have been chosen. If you're in this room this morning, it's likely that you have been chosen and you've received the call and you've decided to follow Jesus. And these men gave up everything and they begin to follow Jesus. Jesus tells us the same thing this morning to come follow him because his burden is light. His yoke is easy. And when we respond to that, then we become a disciple. We begin to trust and we obey. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey and keep my commands. Verse 21 of chapter 14, he says, those who have my commandment and keeps them is the one who loves me. 1423, if anyone loves me, he will obey my word. The point I'm making here is that as a disciple, if you are a follower, if you sit here this morning and say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm a disciple, I have surrendered my life, I'm following, then he says that we must now be obedient to his commands, to what he is calling us to do. And this is the important part of this, folks, is that you and I are kingdom citizens if we have given our hearts to Christ. And there's work to do, and he wants you to live out your kingdom purpose, not in a church on Sunday morning, but where you live every day. He wants you to live this out every day. And I'm not telling you not to come to church. Church is good. This place is good. You need to come. You need to get here. You need to worship and encourage but you also need to follow the commands. So what does that mean? Well, there's the command we read earlier, the great command, love God and love others. And then there's this command or the commission found in Matthew 28. And we know this, you've read it, you've heard it. Verse 16 says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus commissions the disciples to do three things here. He says, to go and make disciples of all nations. So the command here, go and make disciples, it's an imperative. It's not a, it's not a request. He's not, a, he's not asking you if you will go. He's telling you to go. It's a command. It's not optional. It's not up for discussion. It's what you and I are to do. And in fact, this is how the church is is born because these men and these women decide to go and they follow the command and they do this. There's the three things that he says for us to do. Go, not come. It's important for for us to realize what this is right here. It's It's good to invite people to church. 
But if that's what you're doing, if you're going out in your community and you're saying, hey, come to church, and then you're wanting Pastor Todd and the other ministry leaders to preach the gospel to them, then you're missing it. You are the one that is carrying the hope that they need. You are the ones that know them. You preach the gospel. That's the command. You go and make disciples. The second part is this, everyone, not some people, everybody. Go and make disciples of all nations. Everywhere we need to go. Sometimes the fear here is that you may approach somebody or see somebody and they don't look like you, they don't act like you, they don't talk like you, and so you don't share anything with them. You're afraid to approach them. But it's really not about me. It's about what the power of God is going to do in me and through me and through you. He's the one that's going to do this work. You got to go. So everyone, not some. And then the last thing he says here is make disciples, not church members, but disciples. It's okay to be a church member. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but that's not the command. The command is to make disciples who follow Jesus, who make other disciples. Churches are full of members that don't do much. Isn't that right? So let's be careful there. So here's something that Jesus does. I think he explains kind of the lack of engagement in the parable of the sower. Let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 13. This parable is found in the, all the Gospels, but let me read it out of Matthew. It says, On the day that Jesus went out of the house, he sat by the lake, and such a large, large crowd gathered around him. He got into a boat to sit while the whole crowd stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly because the soil was not deep. But when the sun came up, they were scorched. Because they did not have sufficient root, they withered. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and they grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced, produced grain, at some a hundred times as much, some sixty and some thirty. The one who has ears had better listen. So Jesus identifies four, four types of soil or hearts. He has the soil along the path, the rocky soil, soil among the thorns, and then the good soil. And then he explains the parable. He says, listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself and does not endure. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. The seed sown among the thorns is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word or the deceitfulness of wealth, so it produces nothing. But as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So I think here is uh, what we see is here's some reasons for our inactivity, for our potential reason that we're not engaged in the game. The soil on the path, there's seed that falls on the path. This has to do with a lack of understanding. He says it in verse 19, he, he hears it, but he doesn't understand it. So it's a lack of understanding due to really not hearing it. The seed comes, but he doesn't hear it. 
It's a communication problem. It's the myth of communication. And you'll understand this. Did you know that just because I send the message doesn't mean that communication has taken place? The person I send the message to has to receive it. And they have to understand it. The reason I know this is because I've, I've got kids. And I've sent a lot of messages. And a lot of those messages didn't get received. Why didn't you clean your room? I told you to clean. Why did you get a speeding ticket? I told you not to speed. Some of y'all have the same problem with your spouse. That are sending messages all day. And somehow they get lost in transit. Where's the, where was the message? I missed it. But that's the myth of communication. If the message isn't received, communication hasn't taken place. So in this case, the soil along the path, the message is thrown out, but he doesn't receive it. In fact, it is stolen from him because of his lack of hearing and understanding. So what I would say for us in this room today, you need to come to church prepared to hear. Some of us aren't prepared to hear. You're coming into this place or you're opening your Bibles and you haven't prepared yourself to receive the message. There's a lot of reasons for that. You're just not ready. You're too tired. You stayed up too late watching whatever you were watching. You were doing something else. You weren't ready to come to church. You got to be ready. Be a doer and not a hearer only is what James tells us. Don't just hear it, do it. The only way that you can do that is you have to receive the message. The next one is rocky soil. There's no foundation. There's no root that takes place. So what happens is trials, persecution, difficult days kills the growth. I would say this is a picture of discipleship. There's no discipleship. I haven't been following closely. And so because of that, I don't know how to pray during difficult days. I haven't read scripture to know that there's passages that speak to difficulties. I don't know how to do this. And so when, when tough things happen, then I, I fold, I die, and I don't go any further. The third one is soil among the thorns. It's the worries and the deceitfulness of riches, the pursuit of the world, chasing material gain. Some of us do this. We, we're trying to, trying to figure out um, how to live this life, and then we get tricked. We begin to chase something else. We watch somebody get rich on YouTube, on their YouTube channel, playing uh, Minecraft. And they're like, man, I can play Minecraft. I'm going to start a YouTube channel. I'm going to get rich. You start chasing that down, and it just doesn't work out. Start chasing Kim K and the gang, and you're like, how can I do nothing and make money? This is what I'm after. Chasing all of this. Some of us are chasing youth, right? We're chasing the fountain of youth. I, I said this in the first, so it doesn't matter how many shots I get in my lips. I'm not going to look any better than this. It's just not going to happen. I can keep getting them. It ain't going to make me look any younger. Thanks. Thanks for the encouragement. Chasing, chasing the wrong things. The deceitfulness of riches. So rather than chasing the kingdom, we're chasing these things. What does scripture tell us? Seek first the kingdom and all of these things will be added to us. 
right? Seek first. So what is the good news is this, though. Hearing and understanding is the key to bearing fruit. So you and I coming into this place, waking up every day, we have an opportunity to hear and understand, which is going to produce fruit. Verse 23, but as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So hearing plus understanding equals fruit. So this morning, our responsibility, and I just want to challenge everyone in this room, is this, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if we've come into this place and you're saying, yes, I'm a follower of Christ, the obedient follower then is making disciples. You are going and making disciples. We all fall into one of these categories. We've probably been in, in one of these spots before. But it's time to change that. It's time to switch that. And this is what we do. We need to remember about the church in Acts. What happened with them? They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they were empowered. Jesus said, you're going to receive power in a few days and you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to go and you're going to witness to all of the, these areas. And then in Acts chapter 2, the church explodes because Peter, empowered by the Holy Spirit, stands up, preaches this message. They are all cut to the heart. And what did they say? Do you remember? What must we do to be saved? And he says to repent and be baptized, every one of you. And 3,000 were added that day. And that's when the church was born. We need to hear and we need to understand the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. So you and I preaching this gospel is what causes salvation. Not me, but it's the power of God. I've got to share the, I've got to share the gospel. Romans 10 also talks about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith comes. Listen to this part in Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, this would be a passage that missionaries would take and they would say, hey, send me, I'm ready to go. But I'm telling you in this room today, this is your passage. You are the ones to go. It is not the responsibility of the pastoral staff or the ministry team to preach the gospel to all of your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. It is your responsibility. You are the one that needs to go. And this is how it works. How will they call? Who can, how can they call on the name of the Lord if they've never heard of him? How are they going to hear him? How are they going to believe unless somebody goes and tells them? And that somebody is you. That's me. We have to go. So what do we do from here? Let me tell you this story real quick. I know I'm about out of time here. So what I do at uh, Dunnigan Transport is I'm the, I'm the chaplain, but it's really bigger than that. The owner of the company few uh, years back, he gets saved, and he is now wanting to use his, his business to advance the gospel. He wants to do something with his oil field transport company to minister to his employees, to his area. He just doesn't know how to do it. 
And so I got connected with them, and, and I came in August, and that's how I moved back. And we begin to do some things with drivers. I meet with, with drivers every morning. They're scattered throughout the big country. They have yards set up everywhere. I show up at a yard. I bring a bag of breakfast burritos. I invite them to read the Bible with me. Some do, some don't. And then we decided that this is it's not enough. We're not doing enough. We need to do more here. We need to get more intentional. And so we, uh, Bo supports some missionaries in Uganda that use this model that we're using right now called T4T, Training for Trainers. And so in Uganda, in this, in this refugee camp, these guys started to implement this strategy. And they begin to share the gospel. And then they begin to uh, see people get saved. And they took these folks that were saved. And then they said to them, now I want you to go share the gospel with people you know. And they started these training groups, what they call T4T groups. And as a result of that, now they have over 1,800 groups in Uganda because of people just simply sharing the gospel, discipling others, repeat, reproducing, people getting saved, cascading everywhere. We use a little sheet that, that's our, our cheat sheet to do this, and, and this is what happened here a couple weeks back. Bo, the owner... We meet on Monday mornings, and he has a driver that's been in the company for 30-plus years. He's an older man in his 80s. He's dying. He's actually in a hospital in Aspermont right now. So we're talking about it, and Bo says, hey, I need to go. I need to go see my friend Johnny in the hospital. And, and we're like, yeah, let's go see Johnny. And, hey, Bo, you need to share the gospel with him. And so Bo's not a, and he's not a preacher. He's a quiet guy. He's just an old field truck guy. And so he's like, yeah, I need to go, I need to go share it. And, and what do I do? And so we have this cheat sheet and we're, we've been working with it. And I said, well, Bo, just use the sheet. Here's what you do. You use your story as the gospel bridge. It's going to bridge your story to tell the gospel. That's what you're going to do. Everybody has a story. So tell your story. And that's what he does. He tells what his life was like pre-Jesus, what led him to the cross to get saved and what his life has been like after Jesus. And if Bo was here, he would tell you that before Christ, he was, he was almost at a place of losing the company due to reckless living. And then he almost lost his marriage, but then he has a moment of crisis. He comes to Christ, he gets saved. And then now he is using his company to reach people for Jesus. And this is what he tells Johnny. He gets to the hospital. He finds Johnny and he tells Johnny, this, and then he tells him the, he goes through a series of questions and he says, Johnny, if you were to die tonight, do you, do you think you'd go to heaven? Do you think you'd go to hell? And Johnny doesn't know the answer. He's like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. And he said, well, let me tell you my story. He tells him the story and then he just goes through what we call the Romans road. You've probably heard that before. And he just takes Johnny through the series of passages in the book of Romans that show him the gospel, that lead him to salvation. And at the end of it, he asks Johnny, hey, Johnny, do you, are you ready? Do you want to repent of your sins and do you want to give your life to Christ? And Johnny in the hospital bed says, yes, I want to give my life to Christ. So then Bo asks him the next question that we ask is that, are you ready to get baptized? And Johnny's like, yeah, I want to get baptized. And so Bo calls me in a panic. He's like, man, I... Johnny got saved and now he wants to get baptized. I don't, I don't know what to do. Can I do that? Is this, is this legal? Can I legally baptize him? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, man, I, th I think you can. I don't think it's illegal. So we can't get him to water. He's in the bed. We can't, what do we do? And I was like, man, just, 
Man, just get some nurses, grab a pitcher of water, pour it over his head, and just get, get around him, and that's what you got to do. Innovate, man. Overcome. Adapt. And so that's what he does. And Johnny's daughter is there. Johnny's, these nurses are in the room while this is happening. The daughter puts it on. You can go to my Facebook page. You can watch the video of Bo pouring this over his head and, and all of this stuff. And it makes a huge impact on this whole family, this hospital. The guy looks up, and he's like, man, I've, I've never experienced this. I've, I've known I've needed this. And I just never had anybody tell me. It's powerful. Johnny gets saved, gets baptized. The nurses are all impacted. They're all hugging and crying. Bo goes home that night. And he's telling his wife the story. Bo has two kids, a son and a daughter. And his kids come in and they say, Dad, what are you, what are you talking about? What did you do today? And he tells them the story. And he says to them, do you, do you want to hear the gospel? And they're like, yes, we want to hear the gospel. So he goes and gets his sheep because he's not, you know, he's not seminary trained. And so, and so he goes and gets his cheat sheet. And he just does the same thing that he does with Johnny. And both of his kids say, yeah, Dad, we... We want to accept Christ. Prays with him at the table with his wife. Are you ready to get baptized? Yeah. They get baptized. And so my point in sharing this story with you is that that Bo, who is just an oil field truck driver, that's what he would tell you. And he's not, he's been, he's been living for Jesus now for maybe three years. And he's just been obedient to the call. And you and I in this room, it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or what your story is, this right here is the tool that will get you activated into sharing the gospel and in the kingdom of God. Many of us are on the sideline, and that's the point, is that we're just not active. And there's a reason you're not active. You've, you've done something, you've got something in your life, you feel like you can't be used, that God can't use you, and it's just not true. God can use you. This church was started because we believe that God can use anybody. And we begin to go reach everybody that was available to hear, that wanted to hear, that wanted to come, and we invited everybody to come. But you and I, we've got to get intentional. We've got to do this. And then this is the last thing I want to tell you right here is that everybody has a story. But listen, if you're here this morning and you can't point to that day, what your life was like before Christ. And you can't say, this is what happened when I came to Christ and this is where my life is after Christ. If you can't do that, I mean, I'm sorry to tell you, but you're not a disciple. You're not a follower. Because there's a moment in everybody's life that you come to the cross and you know what that day is. Where you come and you say, man, God, here I am. I need you. Jesus, I need you. And my encouragement for you this morning is that you can get back in the game, that Jesus loves you. The gospel is that he died for us. He forgave us. We are set free from sin and death because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And that he has saved us. Not not to just sit in church on Sundays, but he has saved us to be active in the kingdom. And that's you and me. Amen.